Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. This is the Abby Normal Podcast, here to tell you that you're weird and that's normal. Midway through seventh grade, my parents decided I was up to no good and they sent me to private school. I was not happy about this. As I'm sure you can guess, this place was filled with little social inbreds. So the girl from public school was immediately labeled a slut, one of the 90s favorite words. At my previous school, I was the good girl, so this was new territory. But I had an opportunity. Who did I want to be? Identity is complicated, so let's hear from our friends how they navigated some big ones. Family, religion, ethnic heritage, sexuality. But we're going to start with Annie, who has a surprise for me. Something uniquely her, the indie queen. You found one of your journals from 2002 to 2003. Yes. So from when I was in high school. Yeah. So that's like sophomore year journal. Right. It's embarrassing. It's very embarrassing. I don't know how this one made it. I was pretty sure I shredded or burned all evidence from those years, but I guess not. Um, So I I flipped through it this evening with you. Yep. And I'm horrified and mortified and... Wow, I really hope we don't ever address it again. (laughs) That journal is totally you. Like, I see you in it for sure. But also, it's like a stupider version of you. And it's a version of you with way too much time on your hands. Yeah, that's that's how most 15-year-olds are. Stupid and have too much time on their hands. I mean, they don't have jobs. So all they do is, like, think about their thoughts. Please don't make fun of my poetry. (laughs) I was young and I didn't know better. And I don't write anything down now because I work in a legal department. We don't write anything down. No, do, don't Nothing do is it. in writing. No. I've learned. I mean, considering you were 15, the poetry's not that bad. It's pretty bad. No, I'm not going to read it. <laughs> don't even ask. I'm currently looking at the journal in the hopes that she will pick it up, but she's not making any move to do so. No, I've just put a foot firmly on top of it, so it will not be opened. So you were definitely more emo than me. Yeah. Yeah, my journals, if they were here, and thank the Lord they're not, would be like, tonight I'm going to a football game, and Nini, this cute boy is going to be there. No, that's not what mine said. <laughs> no. Mine was like, how long before we die? <laughs> exactly. But yes. again, I was listening to a lot of The Cure and The Smiths. and Right. And I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I was listening to the music that I mentioned and then also was, as we saw evidenced on those pages, very excited about Billy Corgan's The New Band, mm-hmm. Zwan. 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 Z-W-A-N. I, I had never even heard of that. Yeah. It was short-lived. <laughs> well, because it's a stupid name, first of all. Yeah. Zwan. Yeah. That is the most pretentious band name I've ever heard. You also have a lot of art in your journal. It's like a lot of drawings. I doodled. I dabbled in doodling. (laughs) You're a doodle dabber. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I didn't do any of that. 
no doodling for me. Yeah. No. And a lot of that art isn't mine. Yeah. So you also had a boy write you a song, which is so adorable. My first boyfriend. Is that your first boyfriend? Yeah. (gasps) The one that's gay now. Oh, it comes full circle. Yeah. Oh, he clearly cared about you. Of course he did. Are you going to read the song? Do you want me to? Um, of course I do. What if he hears this? What if he gets mad? He won't get mad. He'll be like, oh my God, I'm famous. I don't, I don't know if that's how he'll feel. He'll be like, my art, it's on the internet. He was much cooler than me. The whole like writing you a song thing is super cute. In Young Love, the boy that I liked from summer camp, like my freshman year, wrote me letters and he put the lyrics to Spoon Man. Do you remember that song? I don't. Oh my gosh, are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. I don't remember that. Maybe it, I mean, maybe I'd know it if I heard it. It is not at all romantic, but I thought it was so cute that he wrote down the lyrics and probably even like the music notes to it. Oh. Okay, read your poem. The entry in the journal is talking about how it was raining today and I liked it and nothing's changed in that front. <laughs> I was walking to geometry and right before I opened the door, gave me a piece of folded up paper. I said, what's this? And he said, a song. I smiled and went in class. I opened it and he had written a song for me. It's called Tea with R.E.M. It was really great. He's writing a copy tonight and then he'll put music to it. It made me really happy. So this is a song for Annie, mm-hmm. the indie queen of our high school. <laughs> Stay in tune with the record player. Trade with me the latest album. Music is our only escape rope. Sometimes it's nice to sit beneath the overcast sky and wonder, wonder, what it would be like if Cobain hadn't died, if Stipe had never sang. Would it be the same? Sometimes it's nice to sit beneath the umbrella tree and wonder, wonder, what would it be like if Cobain hadn't died, if Stipe had never sang? Would it be the same? That is so precious. I was so in love with him. (laughs) How could you not be? Right? Yeah. Wonder. 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 I was trying to play you a thing, but. Okay, it's Soundgarden, I remember now. Man. He wrote those lyrics to me. That's so nice. (laughs) (laughs) Miss Cindy navigated a new school within a religious framework she wasn't a part of. Here's how she found her place. So you went to Catholic school? I went to Catholic school, yeah. I went to were not necessarily Catholic. I was not necessarily Catholic. My father was raised Catholic. When I say father, I'm talking about my stepdad. And he was raised Catholic, but wasn't like a hardcore Catholic. He was like mm-hmm. a Christmas and Easter Catholic, and which is how I like it. Yeah. Um, but we made, we went to like proper midnight mass. It was all very ceremonious and mm-hmm. exciting. Mm-hmm. But I was not baptized. I did not do any of the confirmation stuff, even though the kids kind of did it through school. So I would... Kind of be shuffled away during the secret Catholic <laughs> club time. <laughs> did you feel excluded? Like, did you want to do it? Or you? I did a little, but not really. I, you know, the only time I felt awkward was because we had mass. We went to mass like once a month, maybe. 
And I hate sitting down when everyone else was going to get communion. Yeah. But it worked out okay because I like worked out a system. There was like these candles that you walk past on the way to in and you just comb your fingers through the sand and pick up some wax. Uh-huh. And I would sit there and like make figures out of wax okay. the whole time I was there. Okay. So every time I left, there'd be like an animal on the pew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're like, this is art class. This is art class. <laughs> but and I found that, you know, I've been, I've always been sort of morbid and creepy enough to appreciate Old Testament stories. Sure. So religion class was fine. Right. It was kind of like um, just like if you studied any religion that was not your own. Yeah. You were like, tell me more about how he smites people. Right. <laughs> I'm into that. Right. <laughs> did, on your Korean side, did your mom have any kind of religion? Uh, Kore- a lot of Koreans are Baptist. And uh, everyone but my mom are, were mostly churchgoers. I don't remember any of that in Hawaii. Yeah. I don't remember ever there ever being church. Like the closest thing to church was going to the Chinese theater mm-hmm. where we could go see movies for like a quarter and sometimes there were boobs. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty exciting. Yeah. But we saw all the like old like all those Japanese monster movies were there and kung fu movies. Like there was a whole theater that we went to go see those at in Hawaii. That's so, awesome. Yeah. And I was tiny, but my cousins were all older, so I saw all the boobs. <laughs> <laughs> and those are, it's funny that you were like four years old. Yeah. And the boobs are burned into your mind. They're burned into my mind. It was the first time I'd ever seen them outside of my house. <laughs> okay. Six grade, you changed schools. Mm-hmm. You were there through middle school. Yeah. So I moved from, from Carmel to Los Gatos. It was a weird sort of situation, though, because. Everybody at that particular school had pretty much been there since kindergarten. Right. Yep. And it was a hard sort of club to break into. Sure. And I never did. I accepted I accepted my status as pariah pretty early on. Uh, really? Pariah? Kind of. Me and my little group. Uh-huh. There was like the one girl that accepted the new kids, Michelle. Yeah. She's Thanks, delightful. Michelle. And then a couple of other sort of awkward girls and then the one other Filipino girl. And then we had our male counterparts who were like the chubby kid, the short kid, yeah. and the Mexican kid. Right. So. <laughs> yes. I can totally picture it. Right. <laughs> so was this a pretty racially diverse school or no? Not at all. Not, not at, at all. all. So it was like, literally I like you and the Filipino. all of the kids that were people of even moderate color. Because yeah. like the Mexican, he was only half Mexican. Right. You know. <laughs> Yeah. And there were two like Mexican kids in the grade ahead of us and like two Asian kids in the lower grades that I remember. I think they were all related though. (laughs) (laughs) So it sounds like you were conscious of all that, like even at 12 or whatever. Very conscious. More so than I had been at my prior school. Mm -hmm. I think also because Los Gatos is a tiny community Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that was a tiny school within that tiny community. It was hard to break into. Like I was always in dance and stuff and I... I was very, very painfully shy. I could not speak to a stranger no. under any circumstances. I even went to a family reunion and my cousin told me that she did not hear my voice the entire like three days. Really? I would tug on my dad's sleeve and I would whisper in his ear. Aww. Yeah, that was my stepdad. He was amazing. I yeah. love him so much. <laughs> <laughs> so sweet. And... uh when did you find your voice? I guess high school, sort of. But like I said, when I was all growing up, I was never sort of 
awkward in my body and I was always very willing to perform and dance yeah but never speak oh I would do anything and I was comfortable doing any kind of dancing and then I think through that I gained sort of a degree of popularity in middle school I was never remotely popular but because I was such a good dancer people would want me on their crew for Mm -hmm. like the talent show (laughs) what kind of dancing did you do that school was very jazz centric. Uh-huh. There were a lot of jazz squares, yeah. had, like boxes or whatever that thing is. I never took jazz. And I brought in more of a hip hop element because, I mean, that was the days of like Young MC. I definitely had a routine to Young MC. Mm-hmm. I definitely had a routine to MC Hammer. Yes. And it's funny because this all coincided with us discovering Depeche Mode. And that's like when Violator came out and everything. But yeah. I always like. I think still to this day, it's like, if it makes me boogie, I like it. Right. Yep. Right? Mm -hmm. Open-minded. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then that's where I started to come out of my shell and find my own identity. And then in high school, we moved. I was on the peninsula now. Uh, There are a lot more people. Public school. Right. Were you traumatized by going (sighs) to public school? So I did one day where I shadowed. Like when I was in eighth grade, I shadowed this girl and she totally, she ended up being a cheerleader, like the worst possible person for me to shadow. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. And then I looked and there this, there's this big bike cage where all the bikes were uh-huh. and there was one motorcycle in there and there was like some dude in a leather jacket eating an apple on his motorcycle and I was like I guess this place will be okay (laughs) Carmelita discovers other families are not the same as hers and she finds her voice at the time when I was growing up it was probably about 40% Latino population so we were everywhere so there, de- there wasn't like an otherness in terms of numbers. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it was, it was interesting because I kind of pass. Mm-hmm. I'm pale. I speak English without an accent. I mean, you have like a California girl accent. Right. But... <laughs> without an obvious accent. And so it was, it was kind of interesting. I always identified with my ethnic heritage um, but we definitely had a different relationship to it than my parents. And I was, I'm the oldest. So I think I, out of my three siblings, had the most tension around mm-hmm. um, being the first American experience in our family. Because right. I think, you know, my father, although he had grown up, here in the U.S., I mean, he lived in a community and at a time that it was like Mexican families lived around other Mexican families and they socialized with other Mexican families. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And people of different ethnicities kind of kept to themselves. And so I think my experience was kind of interesting because I had friends of different cultural backgrounds, different religious backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And so there was... There was definitely, there was kind of a sense I was educating my parents sure. as I was yeah, growing up. Like, yeah. I'm trying to figure stuff out mm-hmm. and I'm trying to help them figure it mm-hmm. out. And and so kind of along the way, 
and every kid goes through this for different reasons that when you realize that like something that you've taken for granted because it's the way it's always been in your household or in your family Mm -hmm. and then you start to interact with other people outside of your family circle and you start engaging with people of different cultural backgrounds different traditions and you realize that like oh this thing I thought everybody does they don't right don't do that (laughs) they have no idea what I'm talking about and vice versa you'd find that like other people do things totally different and I had no clue my mother and father have a very an extremely traditional relationship Mm -hmm. it's kind of appalling to people who aren't prepared Um, my mom takes my dad's shoes off when he comes home from work. Once he's done from work, he likes to... You know I would freak out if I saw your mom no, take I know, off your dad's shoes. And, and your she, mom is a delight. She is. <laughs> it's interesting to talk to her about it because from her perspective, like, no, this is something I want to do. And yeah. it, to her, it's like not weird at all. And so it was like getting to know other families to realize like, oh, like not every family does this. Not everybody's mom waits on their spouse. I mean, that's just the way it was in, in my household. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know any different. That So that was kind of eye-opening. And just other things like, you know, I had friends who would like do sleepovers and and they had been doing that since they were little. And my parents were just like, <laughs> what the hell? No, I'm not <laughs> sleeping at this stranger's house. Yeah. I know these people. I mean, just all kinds of little, little things that you kind of don't realize. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, too, language-wise, like, certain words that you would always use in Spanish at home, and then you wouldn't know what the word in English was. And so in talking with people outside of your your family or who aren't sharing in that same cultural mm-hmm. language tradition, like, realizing, like, oh, I don't, I don't know the English word for this, and I don't. Like, I don't know how to explain, how am I supposed to explain this to you? Uh It got especially interesting in high school because when I was in elementary school, middle school, style wise, I mean, just very like average. I mean, I was always an artistic kid, but this is kind of very average Uh jeans and t-shirts or whatever. And it was always light complected. Um, so I used to, when I was really small, people would ask, if they didn't hear my full name, they would ask, oh, what are you? <laughs> you would get that question all the time. Now in high school, my high school was kind of run like a prison in a lot oh, of ways. my it goodness. Was, it was very much, you had groups that didn't mix. You had groups that could not be in the same room because there was going to be violence. Like it was... It was a hectic time in my hometown in the 90s, uh-huh. very violent, a lot of um, issues with gang violence. And and at that time, too, you kind of had the 90s kind of, there was a grittiness about the 90s. There was kind of an edge about the 90s. <laughs> yeah, people were pissed off in the people 90s. People were pissed off. Yeah. And that kind of came into fashion and music. And right. so, and that coincided with a legit for real scary time in my hometown. Um, So for the first time in my life, no one asked if I was Mexican because it was obvious because I had like the permed hair and the winged eyeliner Uh and super dark 
burgundy lipstick yep. and I hung out with people that look rough and it was it was an interesting time. Yeah. Did you have the bangs? I did not have the bangs. Well, kind of. Like I would do like the wave. Okay, you're right, where right, the right. front was like I would kind of tease it up so it would be a little higher in the front. But that was perm too. Right, of course. I didn't have like the straight bangs that would be rounded right. over the What about like the three foot tall when they like went straight up? Didn't usually t- I didn't usually take it that high. Okay. It's good. Yeah. My hair's kind of thin. <laughs> it's kind of fine. It's so it's kind of hard. Yeah, it was so it wasn't an option for you. It wasn't really an option. I mean I, I could have pulled it off, but it would have been would have been a lot of work. Yeah. Junior high, I got into choir the rest of my time in school and choir was like my saving grace like choir was the one class I didn't cut like choir was the one place I showed up the day they pulled me out of school to go to rehab like choir that was the one class that I like went up to the teacher and and told him I wasn't coming back because choir was like that was like my saving grace you loved it singing yeah did you have to wear the ugly ass choir dresses though (laughs) oh my god so so when I was in junior high Seventh grade, uh, Mrs. Puentes, most awesome Shout out. music teacher, Mrs. Mm-hmm. Puentes, she asked me to audition for the show choir, Jazz Chorale. <laughs> and the Jazz Chorale would do performances and they would get to wear cool outfits. Like the regular choir class, did you just wore your street clothes. Um, you know, they might tell you to wear like all one color or something. But the Jazz Chorale, you got outfits. Well, the year I was in it, we got these like polyester, like the ugliest shade of blue polyester, like skirt and blouse sets. They were like really ugly. Uh Oh, and then we had character shoes. What does that mean? So character shoes are pumps and they have like a sole so they don't scratch a dance floor. And you'll notice like if you see like the Rockettes or if you see like musical theater performers, you'll see them wearing character shoes. Okay. Um, and they come in, I mean, the most common colors are like black or nude. <laughs> Yours were for sure nude, They right? were nude. <laughs> like nobody's skin tone is this color as no. ugly as sin. <laughs> and we're like 13 years old wearing mm-hmm. these god awful polyester blue. <laughs> do you have a picture of this? I think I do. Okay. I need yeah. to see it. Yeah. 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 moved from California to Colorado and grows up in a culture that is not conducive to his identity. Colorado is, especially, it was a culture shock beyond all belief. Yeah, in what way? Like, how was it different? Going from, I, I going from a very, very diverse area to an area where I think 92% of the people were white and there weren't there weren't Asian restaurants. There weren't there weren't all of these cultural things that had been normal in my life. Like my parents are very much believers in try all the interesting things. Then the only way you'll know if you like it is if you try it. So we tried all the interesting foods and I loved a lot of the interesting foods. And then we moved and it was just very white, very conservative, very traditional. And that was very much not our jam. <laughs> we were all, my mom was a hippie. My dad is my dad, but he was always, his father was a special effects artist for Universal Studios. Cool. He was an artist when he was younger. So it was very much not 
at first. It was very confusing and alienating because I'm surprised, but people would make fun of me for my accent. They said, you sound like you're from California. And I'm like, I am from California. And then they'd laugh at me and say, why do you say dude all the time? <laughs> That's my California accent. Yeah, I'm like, dude is, <laughs> dude is the default setting for Californians. <laughs> for literally everyone and yeah. everything. In 92, I would have been... 93. Yeah, I was like 15, 14, 15 years old. And Colorado had this bill passed called Amendment 2 that enshrined bigotry into the uh, Constitution. It, it, allowed, it made it specifically legal to fire gay people from their jobs, from uh, deny them housing. And it, w- it went to the Supreme Court and was, and was considered unconstitutional like that. Oh, wow. But that was the environment I was coming to terms with my to, terms about my sexuality that was what was going on in the bigger world picture around me so i had it, it was trauma and so i my opinion was is I, at 19 i was like as soon as i graduate college i'm getting the hell out of here but the colorado i left 20 years ago and the colorado that's there now are two very very different beasts yeah especially with that issue yeah especially well just in general the the culture there seems far more open-minded than mm-hmm. it was in 1997 when I left. Now it's, well, the culture in general, our culture in general has shifted more open, I think, I hope. Yeah. We're doing a little black backsliding right now, but <laughs> I, what is the, what is the quote? Uh, the trend of history is towards uh, uh-huh. progress, I think, something like that, where uh-huh. it's like, it does get better. It just may sometimes. It's going to take a while. Glacial speed. <sighs> That's true. What what were you like in middle school? What kind in of kid school, were you? I was a little goth kid. Oh, I, used, I could picture it. I was at twelve years old. I would wear BDUs every day, combat boots. Uh, I had a mohawk that was down the middle of my back. I had, my <laughs> hair was before I cut it off. I say this now just for the people listening. I have no hair and haven't in twenty years. <laughs> but at that point, I had hair almost down to my butt. I had real long hair. And it was all kinds of fun colors. Wait, how can you make a mohawk with hair that long? Well, you, I never spiked it up. It was okay. just shaved. Oh, I it see. Was, it was shaved down the middle, and then it just was very long. Wait, it was shaved on the side. It was shaved on the side, and, and I had this stripe down the middle that was Got it. two and a half feet long. Wow. I did occasion once or twice spike it up, and then I couldn't walk through doors. And what did you like doing? Uh, mostly at that point, I spent a lot of time in my room. I painted, I would draw. I'm an illustrator and artist by inclination, if not by trade. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't a lot to do. There wasn't, there weren't a lot of, a lot of weird kids. So yeah. we all kind of hung out together as, as security. Yeah. So that was middle school gothiness. Yeah. And what, like, were you in tune with your sexuality in middle school? I wasn't really full terms with my sexuality until I came out to the first person. The first person I came out to, I was 15. Uh-huh. So I was firmly in high school at that point. But I, I, I think I understood, but I didn't know what it meant. Yeah. yeah like, yeah. I knew I was attracted to boys, but... In, you know, the early 90s, the late 80s, nobody talked about that. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know what that meant. And that ends up leading to a lot of confusion and a lot of struggle just with identity. Because in the 90, 80s, 80s and 90s, you had a very different perception of gay people that was put out by the media. 
And like, there was just a different mindset mm-hmm. at that time. I'm not, I'm not judging, but it was definitely different. And there was a lot of, I felt, maybe it's my anxiety, but I felt a lot of expectation to fit into that mold. To fit into the I'm gay mold. The, the flamboyant, <laughs> mm-hmm. the, um, the sa- you know, sashaying, swishy, because that was the only image of gay mm-hmm. people that you saw. And, you know, kid in rural Colorado, I didn't really know a lot of gay people, uh, zero, until I was older. So that was the that was who I thought I was supposed to be. I thought that, oh, you like boys, you have to fit all of these other boxes mm-hmm. too. And it took me a good probably 10 years before I was like, no, the only thing that being gay means is that I like dudes. Right. Everything else is just affectation Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so you know be you like the the real lesson that i took from that over the course of years was be you be unapologetically you and people either like you or don't and that's them as long as you're sincere with what you need and being you then everything else is negotiable you know 41 now it took me a good long time (laughs) to be able to come to to that perspective did you date girls in high school i have one ex-girlfriend who i am still to this day friends with yeah good good which just seems to that seems to be a very very common thing with gay people from the midwest is we all had girlfriends Uh they all knew they didn't care and well i feel like you were probably a good boyfriend i hope so so i hope so she was a great person. She's a great person. And I hope that, like, I, I hope I didn't do her wrong because she was great. How Did you date for a long time? Like six months, okay. which at, like, 14, 15 years old it's is, like, a eternity. lifetime. <laughs> but we were, I mean, we we dated and then we didn't date. It wasn't that we broke up, per se. It was just that I came out and it was like, oh, yeah, this is not a thing. Yeah. So was she the first person you told? No. She was the second. The first person I told was my closest male friend at the mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm. I was very lucky that as a 15-year-old boy, I came out to my best friend and he was like, cool, you want to go do something now? Awesome. I was lucky. For sure. I was very lucky because a lot of people do not have that experience. Yeah. So did you did you feel like kind of late teens, early 20s that you had to tell people right off the bat so that there wasn't no okay. i think i think i was not interested I, I i was not interested in in broadcasting my sexuality mm-hmm. everyone else in my life was though i spent many a year being everyone oh this is my gay friend chase mm-hmm. this is my gay friend and i'm like that's this little tiny part yeah. of a fully grown fully realized human being <laughs> right but for other people it was a badge of honor. It felt like, ooh, look at me. I'm cool and progressive. I have a gay friend. Oh, okay. And I'm like, good for you. But we were friends before you knew I was gay. If I'm a checkbox yeah. on your checklist of life, then I'm not a person to you and I'm not interested in not being a person. That I think that I think is a running theme through my life is if you're not going to treat me like a person, I'm not interested in you. Yeah, that seems reasonable. I think so. <laughs> I, I think a lot of us don't feel like that. Though. Yeah. I don't, I think a lot of people don't feel like it's a reasonable request to be treated like a, de- to be treated decently because our society tells us that external forces control that instead of the internal voice is like, if your internal voice is telling you something's wrong, trust it. Something's wrong. 
even if it's just in yourself, it's still really valid mm-hmm. and it's really hard. And a lot of people struggle with that. I don't feel right about this, but it's easier not to say anything. Right. So what was my mom thinking when she thrust me into an environment that made me question my very self? We're going to return to the backyard and ask her that very question. What what kind of kid do you think I was in middle school? I think you were a girl that just wanted to have fun. You thought everybody was fabulous and everybody was fun to be with. So you didn't have a lot of discernment that maybe this wasn't a good person to be around. Oh. <laughs> Does that sound right? Um, yeah, I mean, that's probably still what I'm like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You were great. You were enthusiastic. You loved participating in things. Why did you send me to private school? anything that happened or you saw or heard that you didn't like or Mm. you know I honestly don't I don't remember like a specific thing that happened we had always told you we're sending you for seventh grade we had always told you that and then you talked us into no I want to stay with my friends and so then I think it was probably just I remember you went with some girl. I don't remember who it was. You went over to Pismo to the RV park with her family. Do you okay. remember that? Nope. Okay. And and then I remember you, like, talking about, oh, how this girl went up to the counter and was like, do you sell rubbers here? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, this is somebody I wasn't really crazy about you uh-huh. being about, being around. So anyway, it was like, Resno Christian, there you go. One little rubbers comment, and it was no, over for me. I, it was, it was, <laughs> it was a lot. You thrived at Fresno Christian because I feel like you went from being, you know, like a small fish in a big pond to getting to be a big fish in a small pond. And I feel like it was a perfect environment for you. You got to be a, you know, class president and a cheerleader and play on every sports team where if you'd been at Clovis Unified, you would have been the girl organizing the parties. That would have because, you know, there wouldn't have been those opportunities. You for mean you. like the parties when parents are out of town? Yes, yeah. those parties, <laughs> those parties. I mean, it's kind of funny you said that, like finding your identity mm-hmm. and when I was at Kasner, my identity, both in myself and with my friend group, was mm-hmm. I was the good girl. Like, Aww. I didn't ever cuss. Like, I didn't do any of the, <laughs> quote, bad things that kids uh-huh. did. Uh-huh. And so, and I was, like, confident in that. I was like, I'm, you know, this is, this is like, my shtick. And it makes me unique, you know? Yeah. And then I went to Fresno Christian. Yeah. And everyone was like, you know, Abby's a slut because <gasps> she's from public school. And I, of course, wasn't a, quote, slut. Right. I was a 12-year-old. But, yeah. Um, you know, it was kind of like I was automatically given this like bad kid label. Oh no. So to a certain extent I like lived into that new 
oh, identity no. that they gave me. Because it was like, because my whole thing was I wanted to like stand out, right? Yeah. So at yeah. Kazner, I stood out for like being a good girl. And then <sighs> at Fresno Christian, I was like, well, I guess I'll be the naughty kid because that's what was assumed. Anyways. That's horrible. I mean, I don't feel like I'm traumatized or anything. Oh, but... good, because that traumatizes me. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think there's, like, irony in that. But That's a lot of irony. Um, yeah, so I don't know how things would have been different if I had, yeah. you know, stayed at Kasner or whatever, but... The cool thing about life is we can shift aspects of our identities that no longer suit us whenever we want. In eighth grade, I decided everyone should call me Bill. This is literally printed on my yearbook. And it's not unique. I have notes from Daisy and Midnight Breeze and Ocean Rain and all kinds of different names. So do what you want. Change your environment. Hell, change your name. (laughs) 